If you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 30 again this week. Luke 18, verses 18 through 30. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear now the word of the Lord. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. If you would, please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. This past weekend, my family and I went out to a pumpkin patch in Scott, Arkansas, And as we were going, uh, we passed various church signs. And uh, I'll be honest, when uh, I'm not the hugest fan of church signs. When I was young, uh, we we lived in a little house in South Holland, Illinois. And when I was 11, we moved into a house that was literally next door to the church. And since I was a teenager, uh, I was asked to be the one to change the church sign. And every, every couple of weeks, I was given the, the new message that would go up on that sign. And it was my job to, to switch out the letters and put up a, a new saying there. And um, a lot of the church signs that you see, I struggle with. Uh, I was looking on the internet and uh, looking at various church signs, and some of them are grown-worthy. Uh, one of them said, this church is prayer conditions. I don't even know what that means exactly. <laughs> I think I know what they're getting at. I don't even know what it means. Here's a good one for Arkansas. A church sign that says, Walmart isn't the only saving 
place. Okay. Uh, this one, uh, this one caused me to groan. It says, use sunscreen, S-O-N, to prevent sin burn. Ugh. Ouch. But I did see one as we were coming back from the pumpkin patch this past weekend uh, that, I, uh, that I thought was good, and it caused me to stop and think, and it actually really applied to our message this morning. And it said this, do you own something that you can't give away? It owns you. I thought that was really profound. So this morning, what we're going to be doing as we look at Luke 18, we're going to be looking at this sin of materialism that Jesus points out in the life of this ruler. And as we do that, we'll see this, that because of the idols of our sinful hearts, it's impossible for anyone to enter the kingdom of God. We often idolize our possessions, trusting in them rather than in Christ. And Jesus calls us to exchange our trust in our stuff to trusting in Him. Last week, as you remember, as we went through this passage, we saw that Jesus quickly, gently, but firmly exposed the idols of this man's heart. He wanted to enter the kingdom of God. He wanted a good thing, but he wasn't willing to put his trust in Christ because he loved his stuff, he loved his things more than he loved Jesus. So the question that Jesus is posing to the ruler was a very simple one. And in essence, what he was saying to him is, where is your trust? And in Luke 18, verses 23 through 24, we, we see the response of the man. It says, when he heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. So without saying a word, this man, clear, <coughs> this man clearly displayed where his trust lay, and it lay in his possessions. So Jesus responds by saying, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. As we were talking, as I was talking to the, the children this morning, um, I said, is it great to, to have one toy or many toys, a room full of toys? And the response we got was, one toy, because then you don't have to clean everything up. I think that is a great response. That is absolutely True. The question for us this morning, is wealth an advantage or is it a barrier? You know, we typically see wealth as an advantage. We see our affluence as a blessing from God. And, and we often give thanks to God for the blessings He has given to us. As we head into the Thanksgiving season, we're going to be thankful for what God has poured out on us. And rightly so. We should be grateful for it. But here's a question for us this morning. But what if, what if our wealth is actually a barrier in our relationship with Christ? What if our affluence and our wealth is actually hindering us from loving and serving Christ fully because it's leading to the sin of materialism? 
Materialism is one of those acceptable sins of the church today. I know we don't talk about it often, but in a sense we have a hierarchy of sin in the church. A hierarchy of sin. We know that God hates all sin, but we view some sins as worse than others. So imagine this. Imagine one of our elders comes forward this morning and he says to us, I have a confession that I need to make to the congregation. And he says, brothers and sisters, I struggle with the sin of materialism. I think that we would nod and we would say, uh, yes, we will pray for you, brother. Thank you for that. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, and it would, um, we would pray for him. But what if an elder came forward? And he came to us and he confessed. He says, brothers and sisters, I need to confess a sin to you. I have committed adultery. Immediately we would snap into action. If he didn't resign, we would work with him and probably ask him to step down at that point. It would be a serious offense. I think materialism is a sin that we are often blind to. You know, if we look back 150, 200 years ago, and we see the sin of slavery, and we say to ourselves, you know, how could all these Christians be slave owners? How could they be so blind to what was going on? How could they have missed it? If we think about 150, 200 years from now, will people look back on us and say, look at how materialistic the church was. How could they have been so blind? How could they have missed it? Is it bad to have stuff? No, it's not. Having money is not the root of all evil, right? It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Having things in and of themselves is not evil, but when we love our things above all else, that is evil. The love of our possessions is evil because loving anything above loving Christ is an idol. So Jesus saw that this ruler loved his possessions above all things, and he called them to give them up. And as we see Jesus do that in his life, the thought comes to our mind, is Jesus giving this as a universal command? In other words, does Jesus command all Christians in all times to give up all of their possessions and to give them to the poor? No. And yes. No and yes. Jesus isn't calling all people and in all times and in all places to give all their possessions to the poor. Jesus was calling this particular ruler in this particular situation to give all that he had to the poor. 
But it's not like Jesus is not calling people to this either. Here's how Matthew Gundry puts it in his commentary on this passage. He says that Jesus did not command all his followers to sell all their possessions gives comfort only to the kind of people to whom he would issue that command. Does that make sense? So let me put it in a different way. If, if you just breathe a sigh of relief when you heard that Jesus doesn't call all his followers to give up all their possessions, you might be the very person that Jesus is calling to give up his possessions. Does that make sense? If you're relieved that you get to keep your stuff, then maybe your stuff is an idol. I'll be honest, uh, Stephanie and I are really struggling in this area with this particular thing right now. As you know, recently, recently we moved from Jacksonville to, to North Little Rock. And I, I don't really get the sense that I realized how much stuff I had until you start to actually pack it up in boxes and have to move it. And to be honest, it made us a little sick to our stomach to, to realize how much it really took to move all of our stuff. So Stephanie and I were having a, a conversation after feeling this angst about the amount of things that we actually had. And she looked at me and she said, what would it look like if we downsize our stuff by 50%? Whew. So we started a pile in our garage of things that we could get rid of. At first, it's easy. If you've got two pots that basically you know, are the same, okay, giving one up, not a big deal. Uh, but when it comes uh, to other things, it, it becomes more difficult. We went through our closets and other areas of the house and started a pile, um, uh, a significant pile of things that we could get rid of. And it just so happens that our landlord um, was doing some work uh, on the house. One of the nice things about renting is that you can have work done on your house and not have to pay for it. It's wonderful. So we had a crew there that was doing siding on our place for the better part of three days. And at the end of that three days, my wife went to, to one of the crew members and said, we have this pile of stuff. Would any of you need any of it? And wouldn't you know it, they took about 95% of the stuff that we have there. It was great. Uh, we could bless them with that. And the pile in the garage is starting to grow again. And hopefully God will give us more opportunities where we can minister to others through the giving away of our stuff. On our Tuesday morning men's group, we're reading through the book Radical by David Platt and uh, little self-disclosure, guys, I'm actually a little ahead. I read a little ahead because one of the chapters really applies to this, uh, our passage this morning. And in that book, Radical, by David Platt, the author recounts a story regarding John Wesley. And if you know John Wesley, he is one of the founders of the Methodist movement. He's the brother to Charles Wesley, who wrote some of uh, the famous hymns like Christ the Lord is Risen Today and Hark the Herald Angels Sing and, and others as well. So Wesley had just um, bought some pictures, some paintings 
that he wanted to put up in his house. And this is what Platt says about it. said, Wesley had just finished buying some pictures for his room when one of the chambermaids came to his door. It was a winter day, and he noticed that she had only a thin linen gown to wear for protection against the cold. He reached into his pocket to give her some money for a coat, and he found that he had little left. He asked himself, Will my master say, Well done, good and faithful steward? Thou hast adorned thy walls with the money that might have screened this poor creature from the cold. O justice, O mercy, are not these pictures the blood of this one for me? Now, I get it. It may sound a little extreme. But were this man's, were Wesley's pictures in and of of themselves evil? Of course not. Stephanie and I have paintings on our walls. Um, we adorn our walls with pictures and things. So the pictures of in, in and of themselves were not evil. But what Wesley realized firsthand is that the decisions that he makes with his possessions, with his money, have real-world consequences for him and even in the lives of others. Later on in Wesley's life, he determined the level of income that he could uh, comfortably live on And he determined that he would not uh, spend more than that level on on daily living. And he became a fairly famous preacher. His income level certainly increased, but he kept his spending at that level. And what he was able to do was give more and more and more of his income away. So we come back to the question that Jesus is essentially asking the ruler here. And what he's asking him is, where is your trust? Is your trust in the Lord? Do you trust that the Lord will provide your every need? Or are you trusting in the things that you have? Are you trusting in your stuff? As Jesus goes on, he gives a stern and solemn warning to the crowd. He says it's difficult for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. I think that that we approach this one lightly, thinking that it usually applies to others, people like the insanely wealthy, and not to us. You know, we've heard a lot of talk in the news recently, you know, about the 1%. And we feel like, Those are the people that Jesus is talking to here. But when we compare ourselves to the rest of the world, we realize that we are insanely rich. Um, There's a website that I came across. It's called Global Rich List. uh, The globalrichlist.com. And you can type in your your salary there and how much you make, and it gives this graphic about where you are in terms of of wealth uh, with the rest of the world. staggering. It's staggering. We are certainly people who are rich. And it's so easy for the things that we have to grab control of our hearts. And as often is the case, the more we have doesn't translate into a more happier life. Uh, I found myself 
um, in Kenya when I was in college, and I saw more joy in the lives of people living in one or two room shacks than the joy that I had here living in the United States. And why was that? Because their joy came from Christ and from Christ alone. He is the one who brings us pure and true joy. The reality is this. It's not just difficult for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. It's difficult for anyone, anyone to enter into the kingdom of God. And this is the truth. It's impossible for anyone to enter into the kingdom of God. It's not just the sin of materialism, but it's sin, period. Sin. If it's not the sin of materialism, then something else is going to grab our hearts and draw us away from God. Without the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, it is impossible, impossible for man to save himself. And so we say, as the crowd did, as this man was walking away from Jesus, they said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus responds with this truth. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And that's the beauty of the Gospel, is that God has made the impossible possible. And He has done it through a great exchange. A great exchange. We know that sin starts off with a great exchange of worship. I know that some of you are going through the book of Romans right now in the Sunday school class. And Romans 1, verses 21 through 23 says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They exchanged the relationship they had with God for a new one. They exchanged relating to God as His creatures and desired to become like God, to be on level with Him. As Romans tells us, they exchanged worshiping God for worshiping creation. They exchanged walking with God in the cool of the day to being exiled from God's presence. The story of redemption is all about exchange as well. In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7, we have this sense of exchange as well, where Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the very form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. See, Christ participated in this great exchange. Christ exchanged heaven for earth. He exchanged His position as Creator for one of creature. He exchanged His position at the right hand of God for the position of a servant on earth. On the cross, Christ exchanged His own perfect righteousness for our complete sinfulness. 
He exchanged the delight of his Father in heaven for the wrath of God. He exchanged his life for our lives. He exchanged life for death. Heaven for hell. And what he did was to do the impossible that he talks about in this verse. Through his sacrifice, what was impossible with man was made possible with God. And we, through faith, are beneficiaries of this great exchange. Through faith in Christ, God takes our hearts of stone that are bent towards all kinds of sin and exchanges them for hearts of flesh that are inclined towards God. He takes the record of our sin and exchanges it with the record of Christ's perfect righteousness. He takes our status as slaves to sin and exchanges it for a status, the status of sons. But the ruler doesn't understand this concept of the exchange. The disciples were starting to get it, maybe just a little bit. Jesus closes our passage encouraging his disciples in this great exchange. Luke 18:22 Jesus says, "One thing you still lack. See that you sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me." The man was so short-sighted that he couldn't see what was being offered to him. Jesus was calling him to exchange his desire for the things of this world for a desire of the of the world to come. He was exhorting him to exchange the temporary outlook for that which was eternal, and he could not do it. But as Peter, speaking for the rest of the disciples, says, those disciples did make that exchange. Peter spoke up for the rest of the disciples and reported to Jesus that they had exchanged their homes. They had given them up to be with him. And Jesus' response was this, those who are willing to sacrifice the temporal things of this world will exchange them for so much more in this age and in the age to come. Now, I don't, I don't pretend to understand the exchange rate here. I don't know how it works when we exchange that which is temporary for the things that are eternal. I don't know if there's a direct correlation, if it's a one-to-one exchange rate, I don't understand necessarily what treasure in heaven really is. If it means a a bigger mansion, if it means being closer to Jesus, if it means a greater glory and honor, um, uh, I don't know exactly. But I do know this. I do know what Scripture says. The disciples made the exchange. They gave up their homes And most of them even surrendered their lives for Christ as well. And this is what it says about the apostles in Revelation 21, verses 10 through 14. It talks about their blessing in the age to come. The apostle John reports this. It says, The angel carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates were 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the Son of Israel were inscribed. And on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now it's one thing to have your name on a building here on earth. But imagine your name being inscribed on the foundation of the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which will last forever. It's incredible. Christ made the great exchange for us, making it possible for us to exchange as well. He is the power. So what? So, so what do we do with this passage? How do, we, how do we end this? I think this passage gives us a lot to wrestle with. And as I encouraged the, the kids when they were up here this morning, is to, to grapple with this together as a family. I hope this passage sparks conversations in your homes, in your families, in your workplaces. Uh, I, I hope that you would consider you know, is this sin of materialism a blind spot in my life? Is it a blind spot in the life of our family? Do we own things, or as the, the church sign says, do they own us? Are we trusting in our things rather than trusting in Christ? Are there things in my life that I could simply give away? Are there changes in my lifestyle that I am convicted to make to show that my trust is in Christ. If so, I encourage you to talk to someone about it. Get together and do it together. It's harder uh, to be a Lone Ranger type on these types of changes that are so deep. Um, encourage one another in these things. And don't sell yourself short either. If you feel like God is calling you to take drastic measures, take drastic measures. Have courage. Trust that God will provide. Remember that Jesus called the ruler to give away everything, everything, because possessions ruled his heart. And as you do, trust in the great exchange that Christ has done. Trust in what Christ has done for us. Because of sin, uh, because of him, your sin has been exchanged for righteousness. Your slavery for sonship, your temporal view exchanged for the eternal. And where is your trust? Is your trust here in your stuff? Or is your trust in Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you now after hearing this passage, Father, we come to you with the words that we are about to sing, and I pray that it would be our prayer right now, 
that you would be our vision and the Lord of our hearts. May nothing else be our everything except for you. May you be our best thought by day or by night while we're waking or sleeping. May your presence be our light. May we not desire riches nor the empty praise of men because you are our inheritance now and always. May you and you only be the first in our hearts for you're the high king of heaven. You are our treasure. And oh, high king of heaven, who has won our victory. May we join you in the joys of heaven where you shine even brighter than the sun. Whatever happens to us here on this earth, would you still be our vision and our ruler of all? And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen.